Hey everybody, and welcome to The Collective Podcast. My name's Josiah, and I'm one of our leaders here. Our prayer is that you find this next conversation meaningful and helpful in your relationship with God, no matter where you're at right now. If you're a young adult in the greater Akron area, and you're looking to find community, or just trying to learn more about God and Christianity, I would want to personally invite you out to Collective. We meet at Grace Church Bath Campus every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And if you want more info, you can find it on our Instagram, gcm underscore collective. Now let's jump into our conversation. Yo, what's up, everybody? Hey, hey! I told you guys we'd get you a song. So if you didn't get the memo, March 26th to 28th, there's a retreat. You should sign up for it. Uh, check out our Instagram. I have the, the link in the bio. You should be able to sign up for it really fast and get your sick t-shirt and make a lot of friends and maybe meet your soulmate. Speaking of soulmate, we're in a series called Soulmate. And I'm, uh, I'm really glad you're all here. If, you are, if it's your first time here, you've come at a really good time. Uh, we've been talking for the past few weeks, we've been talking about the struggles of dating and marriage and the questions that kind of come and go with that. And if you remember, a few weeks ago, uh, we, on the first week, we talked about what does a godly marriage actually look like? What does the Bible um, actually say about marriage? And what we found, we looked at a bunch of stats, and all the stats are actually showing that the closer a couple is to God's version of marriage actually described in the Bible, um, the happier and the healthier they are, and the longer that that relationship lasts, the more fulfilling it is. And then the week after that, <clears throat> We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter. We were talking all about what does love like Jesus actually look like and how does that show up in dating? And last week uh, was dudes week. So um, before, we, before we start, well, that was last week. So you can clap for last week, I guess. Uh, so uh, before we started this series... <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Before we started the series, we did some focus groups of, of all guys and all girls, a couple focus groups of each. And we were asking this question. Um, uh, these are high quality people, high quality girls, high quality guys. And we asked them the question, what are you looking for in a spouse? And what are you looking for in a boyfriend or a girlfriend and in dating? And what are your biggest hopes and dreams when it comes to marriage? And what are your biggest fears when it comes to marriage? And so last week was dudes week. And we spent time talking to the dudes, just kind of letting them know what the girl said, uh, what a girl is looking for um, in, in the Bible. And from that feedback, what they're looking for uh, in uh, marriage. And so if you haven't, weren't there for all those weeks, you should definitely check those out on podcasts and catch up. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of application today built off of that foundation. So you might want to follow a collective young adult ministry podcast on Spotify or Apple Music. But today is a very fun day. Today is girls week. Hey, girls week. And uh, this, will, this will be really fun. If you're a girl, uh, take lots of notes tonight um, because we're going to be talking about what a, a high quality dude is looking for in a girl. And if you're a dude, take a lot of notes because maybe you've had uh, relationships that have kind of been back and forth and up and down. This is what you should be looking for in a relationship. And so I think we're going to learn a lot. Um, let me give a couple disclaimers. I gave some of these last week. I'm going to give them again. Uh, number one, I'm not super into like gender stereotype Barbie Ken kind of stuff. And so we're not going to do that. Like I said, uh, manly men say I wear girl pants. And so we're just blurring all the lines, you know. So uh, we're going we're gonna to spend our time looking at what the Bible actually says uh, about husbands and wives and just kind of leave it there. Leave the cultural stuff out of it. Um, here's the important one for this week though. Here's the important one. Uh, shocker. This will be a shocker disclaimer. I am not a woman. 
Shocker, I know that. That may come as a surprise. Yeah, I know. It may come as a surprise to many. And, and I hate it. And I hate it. Uh, when men or even culture uh, belittles or patronizes women. And so we are not going to be doing that tonight. And, and I think uh, we need to acknowledge a little bit that in history, especially the church, actually does have a history of, of patronizing and belittling women. Um, they are misunderstanding what the Bible actually says about women. They're misunderstanding what the Bible says about marriage. And we're going to re-explore that stuff. But we will not be doing that tonight. Collective is not a place that belittles women or undervalues women. Um, we need women in, in leadership. We need women that are awesome. And so uh, just know that that is not our church. That's not what we're, we're going to be doing tonight. All right? So that's that disclaimer. And here's the, here's the third one. I do not pretend to speak on behalf of women by any means. I do not pretend to speak on behalf of women. What we're going to be talking about today is either what the Bible says or what godly women and godly men have told me. I, I'm, this is not my own information. And so um, I, I don't pretend to speak on behalf. I might say something wrong or I might say something that rubs you the wrong way. And I, just trust me, I really don't mean to. You know, we're, we just have to have a conversation. You got to trust my heart a little bit. You can punch me in the face after. You know, it, it, we can do that later. But we, to, to have this kind of conversation, we have to generalize a little bit. I know everybody's special. I know everybody's unique. I'm not trampling on your independence, all right? Um, so here, let's just jump right in. We asked a bunch of awesome dudes what they're looking for in a girl survey says. Here's the first thing. Um, the guy you want, girls, the guy you want is a, looking for a girl who respects him deeply. That's going to be the first one. The, the guy you want is looking for a girl who respects him deeply. We, we've been spending a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to look at it again and pull something else out of it. Here, here's what it says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Remember in week one we talked about that submission in the Bible, submit, does not mean what our culture says it means. It is not about controlling another person. It is not about demanding your own way. Ladies, if a man tells you to submit to him, I don't know, kick him between the legs, see who submits to who. You know, it's like, it, it, that's, that's not what it's talking about. What submission is actually about is giving all of yourself to another, expecting nothing in return. Giving all of yourself to another, expecting nothing in return. It's a selfless term. It's a sacrificial term. It's a loving term. And it's a term that Jesus gave an example of, okay? So husbands are never to say, submit to me. Wives aren't to do that either. They're submit to each other. Let's keep reading verse 22. For wives, this means submit, give the best of yourselves to your husband. That's to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. He, Jesus is. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do for the church? He gave up his life for her. He put it all down for her to make her holy, to make her clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. A little further down, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect 
her husband. This idea that Paul is talking about is very hard for us to get our heads around in our culture. A husband is called to give everything, to lay down everything for his wife. All of his preferences, his dreams, his desires, his body, his finances, his life. To lay it all down for his wife selflessly, giving all of himself. And the husband is called to lead his spouse and lead his family towards Jesus Christ. And we talked about that last week. He's to lead with patience, kindness, gentleness, selflessness, no anger, self-control, complete humility, a kind, gentle leader that you would want to follow. Um, Women, when you get married though, here's what you have to understand. Well, I'm going to try and get you in in the mind of a dude. I'm going to just try and help because this is where a lot of disconnect happens, right? Uh, Here's what you have to understand when you get married. Within a godly and selfless man, within a godly and selfless man is a God-given pressure and burden to take care of you and your family, okay? Within a godly and selfless man is a God-given pressure and a burden to take care of you and your family. This weight is from God, and this weight is actually extremely healthy, but I cannot explain to you how heavy it is and how real it is. When when God says that a man needs to lead his wife and lead his family, he's not saying that women can't lead. Uh, There are plenty of women who are incredible leaders. We we need female leadership. That is not what it's saying. Um, But what God is saying is that he created men to feel responsible for his wife, to feel responsible for his family and their well-being. And every man knows uh, that at the end of the day, in God's eyes, what they're going to feel and the burden that they're going to feel is that I am the one responsible for the well-being of my family. If my wife gets hurt, that's on me. If my child gets hurt, that's on me. If my family is going in a bad situation, that's on me. If we don't have enough food or we don't have enough money, that's on me. And as part of leadership, God has given that burden to godly husbands. By the way, this is why so many fathers abandon their family disproportionately to mothers. Do you ever wonder why there's so many fathers that that are absent disproportionately to mothers? It's because the fathers, these non-godly fathers, don't handle that weight. They're trying to escape the pressure that they feel deep inside, and so they bail. And that's not good at all. That's a terrible thing, but that's where that comes from. So when the Apostle Paul writes, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What he's saying is, wives, you need to understand the pressure that your husband feels. You have to understand the pressure that your husband feels. He needs your help. He needs your support, he needs your affirmation, and he needs your encouragement. He needs a woman, he needs a wife, he needs a partner who respects him and who trusts him very deeply. And number two is tied to it. Here's the second thing. Survey says, the guy you want is looking for a girl who encourages constantly. The guy you want is looking for a girl who encourages constantly. Um, Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, catch this, building others up. Building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay, girls, I'm going to give you some information, and I don't want to hear any amens. You have to be very careful with this information, right? Get you inside the the mind of a guy. Okay, men, like all people, have very fragile self-esteem. 
No matter how tough the person you meet is, no matter how tough the person you, you meet is, you have to understand, like all people, they have very fragile self-esteem. And especially men who are doing their best, but don't really know what their best should look like. They want to do the right thing, but they're not sure maybe because of their father, or their family, or their background, they don't know what their best should be. When, when, yeah, it's funny thinking about this. When, when Sarah and I first got married, uh, we spent the first few months of our marriage just trying to figure out how Sarah should communicate her problems to me. This was, this was a dichotomy issue we had. Um, because what would happen, it, no matter how gently or how kindly she would tell me a problem that she had in her life, um, or even maybe even something I needed to work on. No matter how kindly she said it, my insecurities always translated what she was saying as, Josiah, you are not doing enough. No matter how gently she said it, it always came across as, Josiah, you're not doing enough. You're not working hard enough. You're not trying enough. And if you were trying harder, then I would be happy. That is not what she was saying at all. In fact, she made it very, very clear that she was saying the exact opposite, but that pressure, that insecurity was so deep in me that I always translated that way. So yes, it's totally on me, and it's totally on guys, and it's totally on everyone to figure out their own insecurities. That's not your fault. But if you're going to be loving, if you're going to build someone up according to their needs, if you're going to be kind, if you're going to meet someone in their weakness, you need to learn how to talk to them in their insecurity and in their weakness. And before anybody feels like that's a double standard by any means, that's how Jesus interacted with all of us. When we were weak and when we had insecurities and when we needed to be met in our own place, that's how Jesus interacted with us. So how do you show Jesus-like love to a godly man, a high-quality man, a good man? Here, let me give you a little help. Men interpret love largely through the lens of respect. Men interpret love largely through the lens of respect. You don't often hear dudes say to each other, I love you. <laughs> you don't hear that very often. You, some of my friends say I love you to me, and it, I don't know, I just can't, I'm getting there. You know, like, but you, what you will hear guys say to each other is, I respect you. Or you hear them talk about uh, what they respect about each other. When Sarah tells me that I'm doing a good job at something or what I'm working on is effective, I, I could literally fly away. Here, here's our first quick tip. Here's a first quick tip for girls. Ready? Most guys would rather hear what you respect about them over how you feel about them. I'll say that again. Most guys would rather hear what you respect about them over how you feel about them. Oftentimes, I know everybody's different and everybody has their own things. Oftentimes, um, people can overwhelm someone with how they feel about them. I love you so much. I adore you. You're so handsome. You're so beautiful. You make me so happy. Every time I'm with you, I could fly away. And everybody needs to hear that. Men need to hear that. That's very, very important. Um, but oftentimes, if somebody's already feeling responsible and somebody's already feeling a lot of weight, that can actually just add to the pressure of what they already feel. Because what happens if I don't make you feel that way anymore? Many guys would rather feel, feel more complimented if you told them what they are doing right, what they're doing well, what you respect about them. You work so hard. 
You sacrifice for me in this way. I know you hate your job, but I respect that you work so hard in it. That would be a lot more meaningful than how you feel. And if you're dating a guy, if you're dating a guy, girls, he needs to know that you think he's the greatest thing that's ever walked the face of the earth. He needs to know that you think he's the greatest thing on the planet. He needs encouragement constantly. And if you don't think he's the greatest guy that's ever walked the face of the planet, why are you dating him? You know, so if if you don't have anything to say, just just break up with him. I don't know. I I don't know what's up. So so in marriage, as you're getting more serious, as you're getting more serious, be their number one supporter, be their biggest fan, let them know how incredible they are in your eyes constantly, and it will give them the fuel to keep going, okay? Now, I have to say this. The opposite is true as well. The inverse is true as well. Girls, if you want to get into the mind of a guy, um, your criticism and your complaints will cut deeper than any knife ever could. Your criticism and your complaints will cut deeper than any knife ever could. There are so many marriages and there are so many relationships that are plagued uh, with a girl who cannot stop complaining about her boyfriend, her fiance, or her spouse. So girls, let me tell you why the criticisms, why your criticisms and complaints would be such a big deal, why they're so dangerous. When a wife, let's talk in the context of marriage, when a wife is constantly complaining about her husband or she's complaining about her life, what she's really doing is this. She's ripping out his heart and soul. And and here's why. What she's saying in her husband's mind, the way the husband will interpret uh, these complaints is everything you work for, everything you sacrifice for, everything you work on, spend your day on is not enough for me. It's not enough for me. It's like a knife is in your heart and it's being twisted. And the man will interpret his wife's complaining as you are not enough You are not doing enough. You need to try harder. And if you just tried harder, then I would be happy. And so guys, let me say this. If you're with a girl right now who constantly complains, I'm not just talking about dating. I'm talking in general. If you're with, and girls, I'll say this about guy. If you are with anyone who constantly complains, you should run far away. Because that is not going to get better. I promise you that that is only going to get worse. So girls, let me ask you an honest question. Everybody's different. Everybody has their different struggles. Let me ask you an honest question. Are you a complainer? Are you a complainer? Do you complain? Not just in dating, in life. Do you complain about your work? Do you complain about your family? Do you complain about your friends? Do you complain about your school? Do you tend to point out other people's weaknesses and find what's wrong with them instead of doing something to help them? Because I'll tell you a secret. If you can't figure out how to be thankful now, and if you can't figure out how to be content now, you're not going to figure it out later. And when you fail to celebrate your husband in marriage, when you fail to honor your husband or your wife in marriage, he will never feel like the man that God made him to be. He will never feel like the thing that he's working on is ever enough because all he wants for you, all a godly man wants for you is for you to be happy and for you to be fulfilled. First Corinthians says, we've been looking at this passage and says, love does not demand its own way. 
is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice. It doesn't rejoice. It doesn't point out all the bad things that people do, but instead it rejoices. It gets excited when the truth wins out, when someone does the right thing. That's what love is. So here's some quick tips, quick tips, easy tips. Number one, practice not complaining. Practice not complaining. Practice right now uh, at your school, at your work. Try and spend a whole day without complaining about anything. I'm saying this to everyone in this room. Try and spend a whole day without complaining about anything. Here's quick tip number two. Make encouragement habitual. Make encouragement habitual. Here's my uh, tip for you. Try and encourage five times more than you criticize. Try and encourage five times more than you criticize. Because here's the reality. There are times when you have to come up to someone and you have to tell them what they need to work on. You have to say, hey, that hurt my feelings. Or, hey, you're doing this and I think this is going in a bad direction. You have to say those things. But try and encourage five times more than you criticize. I am not naturally an encouraging person at all. Uh, I probably have spent the vast majority of my life criticizing other people. And so in the past couple of years, God has convic- convicted me about that. Here's what I've learned. The more I make encouragement habitual, the more good I see in other people. The more I make encouragement habitual, the more good I see in people. So at the beginning, when you're encouraging, it's going to feel insincere. There's something good about everyone. You have to find it, right? But it's going to feel insincere. It's going to feel like you're forcing it. But the more you force it, the more you make it a habit, the more natural it's going to become because the more naturally you see what's good about other people. And here's a third one. Here's a third one. This is a helpful one. Let the little things go. Let the little things go. This is for everybody. Let me explain what I mean about this. Only confront someone when what they're doing is either a pattern or an objectively morally wrong thing. Only confront someone when what they're doing is a pattern or an objectively morally wrong thing. I, when, when Sarah and I first got married, I, sometimes in my mind, I would just keep a list of all the things that bothered me that she did that day. You left this out. You said this thing kind of rubbed me the wrong way. When we went there, you weren't at this thing on time. And at the end of the day, I had to like run through to, to sleep at night. I had to like run through the list and like, I don't know, get her to apologize for all of those things. But here's what that trained my mind to do. That trained my mind anytime I was with the person I love the most. It trained my mind to figure out everything I didn't like about her. It trained my mind to look for the negatives. And so what God helped show me was if I can just let the little things go. They left a bottle of uh, trash out. It's okay. Just forget it. Just put it away. You know, they said something the wrong way and it kind of hurt your feelings, but you know you didn't. It's okay. Just don't bring it up. Just let the little things go. Only confront when it's a pattern. All right. Number three. Ready for number three? Oh, yeah. Here we go. The guy you want is looking for a girl who is their own main character. Is their own main character. The guy you want is looking for a girl who is their own main character. Okay. This phrase, uh, own main character, came up with, uh, I came up with this. I would talk to my friends about this uh, when I was in high school, that I wanted to find a girl who was their own main character. Oftentimes in movies, you know, you watch a movie where you have like the main character, and the main character is super interesting, right? The main character is like taking down spies in, in Russia and like they got like weapons or they're going into space or they got superpowers or like whatever. You got the main character that's super interesting. And then you have their spouse, 
right? You have like their husband or their wife that they're like in the movie, but the only thing that's actually interesting about their spouse is that they're married to the main character. And so I, I, told, I told my friends uh, when I, before I ever met Sarah that one day I want to marry a girl who is her own main character. She's not my passive spouse. She is getting her own movie, that I want to live a life that is so significant that I get a movie. But honestly, if the producers are up between us, they're probably going to go with her. When we were uh, doing this focus group with all the guys, the guys said, um, actually, this whole notion that um, you would just have this quiet wife who just, I don't know, just supports and you know, just it's tagging along with whatever I'm doing. The, the idea that you would just have the, you know, the movie wife, it, they don't like that at all. The, the godly, incredible guys, they don't want that at all because they want a girl that will lead with them. They want a girl that's going to be in the action. One of the best examples when I was thinking about this, one of the best examples of this is, is my mom. My mom, I should have put a picture of my mom on the screen because she's very jacked. Uh, my, my mother is an awarded CrossFit athlete. Uh, she owns one of the highest quality gyms in the country. Uh, she's an entrepreneur and she owns actually one of the top Labrador uh, breeding businesses in the world, which seems very unrelated to the gym thing, but I don't know. She, she's, she's amazing and... And she's an incredibly faithful wife to my dad. And she's an incredible mother. She homeschooled six kids until we were in high school. And if anyone in my family is going to get a movie made about them, if anyone in my family is going to get a movie made about them, it's most likely going to be my mom. I would be completely honest about this. And my mom and my dad, I got to see this my whole life. They lead together. They respect each other, they honor each other, and they lead together. When my dad has an issue at work or, or in his ministry or whatever, my mom is his first call every single time. And when my mom has an issue at her business or her work or her ministry, my dad is her first call every single time. Hey, okay, I have to say this very gently. I'm going to say something very blunt. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Some of you, some of us, I'll say that. <laughs> that makes me feel better about it. Um, some of us need to find something more important to live for. Some of us need to find something more significant to live for. Uh, girls to dudes, let me just tell you something. Um, one of the most attract, un unattractive things about girls, some girls, not all girls, but some girls, one of the most unattractive things about some girls is that they don't do or care about anything that's actually important. They don't do or care about anything that's actually important. They might hang out with their friends a lot. They might talk about other people's lives a lot. Uh, they might go to parties and they might do fun things. They might be very pretty, very good at school, very sociable, but that's it. They don't give their lives away to anything bigger than that. Their life isn't about something that's great. They're not deeply impacting other people's lives. They don't see that people out there are actually hurting and are actually in need. And they don't really see them and they don't really care about them because they don't look outside of their own lives. And here's why that was so unattractive to a godly guy. Because that's never what Jesus ever did. Jesus' whole life was about something bigger than himself. Jesus was constantly giving his life away. It doesn't mean he needed to be at the center of attention. He wasn't. But he was sacrificing for other people. He was giving towards other people. And he certainly saw the needs of others. I'll, I'll never forget 
the most uh, attractive, engaging, interesting conversation uh, I ever had with a girl in high school um, was, be, was with Sarah before we ever started dating. This was actually years before we started dating. You know how like when, when you're going on a field trip, we were on a field trip a couple hours away. You know how you like get, you get stuck with people on the bus? You know, like when your friends are like sitting there, but there's like three of you and you're like, all right. Well, Sarah and I got stuck with each other and uh, <laughs> we were sitting there talking and we were talking for a few hours and I'll never forget hearing about what God was doing in her life. Um, she was telling me that there were members in her family that don't know Jesus. And she was telling me everything that she was doing to try and tell them about Jesus. She was telling me how she saw the broken people in our school. And she would ask them to get coffee. She would sit with them with lunch. She saw their needs. She was telling me how she dreamed of having a career and using her career to tell other people about Jesus Christ, which is exactly what she does. And I realized in that moment in high school that she was different. And here's why. I knew that Sarah was going to change the world with or without me. I knew that Sarah was going to change the world with or without me. She doesn't need a husband to be interesting. She doesn't need a boyfriend to be interesting. She's driven, convicted, motivated. No one works harder than her. She's a world changer. Sarah was her own main character. And I realized that. And girls, that's what the dude you want, the high quality dude that's, that's going to lead well and be strong, that's what he's looking for. So here's some quick tips. Here's some quick tips. Um, Here's some quick tips. Here's the first one. Number one, uh, reduce or remove your social media. And you might be like, what on earth does that have to do with anything? Well, let me explain. Reduce or remove your social media. Social media does two things. Does two things. This is for everybody. Does two things. First, it wastes your time. I waste a lot of time on the gram. I'm on the gram too much. Uh, Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, It wastes your time. And here's the second thing. Social media makes you insecure. It makes you insecure. Um, and when you're insecure, when a person is insecure, you are tempted and you're driven to give your life to shallow things. You compare and contrast yourself to, I don't mean to be mean, but meaningless people. Not that they don't have value, but they don't use their life in any significant way. You compare and contrast yourself with people who spend all their time on Instagram. And the only way to uh, compete with them is to become as meaningless as they are. But here's the reality. Everybody needs to catch this. Here's the reality. If you want to, everybody wants to be a world changer, but very few people are willing to do it. Here's the reality. No one has ever changed the world by fitting into it. No one has ever changed the world by fitting into it. If you want to be a world changer, you cannot be consumed with what the world thinks. And to be completely honest, for many of us, social media is too big of a temptation. I mean, I think screen time, Apple's screen time is one of the best things that's ever come out. If you want to know if you're a world changer or not, you can look at your screen time. It will give you a report. (laughs) Check it. Some of us need to reduce or we need to even remove our social media. Here's number two. Remember that Shia LaBeouf uh, thing? It was like, just do it. You remember that one? Real life cannibal, Shia LaBeouf. You remember that one? Uh, So (laughs) just do it. Here's what I'd say. Um, Figure out what you're passionate about and start it now. Just do it. Figure out what you're passionate about and start it now. Listen, you don't need permission to start something. You don't need no man right? You don't need permission to start something. Just put yourself out there. If there's a, if there's a business you want to start, if there's a cause you want to do, if there's a degree you want to get, give your life away to something important and something of significance. You don't need permission, just start it. And the guy you're looking for is going to see you running and he's going to respect that you're running and he's going to run right along with you. Just do it. And here's the third one. 
Uh, third one is this, avoid gossip. Avoid gossip, and, and that one also might seem unrelated. Last week, uh, we read Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three to the dudes. I read this to the dudes, and I wanna read it again to the girls. Here's what it says. Uh, Paul writes this, he says, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, idle lives, wasted lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work their own living. Here's kind of the idea. When you're living an idle life, when you're living a wasted life, when you're not living a very uh, significant life, all that's left is to meddle in other people's business. That's the only thing you can do, right? Is to meddle in other people's business. And this is what gossip is. This is what gossip will communicate to a high quality dude. This is what gossip communicates to a dude of high character. You're uninteresting. You're uninteresting. If the only interesting part of your life is what other people are doing, that's a pretty good indicator that you don't have a very interesting life right? That, that's what gossip is communicating. Plus, in addition to all that, gossip is pointing out what's wrong with other people. It's pointing out what's wrong with other people. And any smart person knows that that gossip is going to get pointed right back at them one of those days. So just avoid gossip. Gossip will free up a lot of time to be a world changer. Go be a world changer. Go kick some butt, everybody. That's going to be good. Uh, all this to say, uh, you need to give your life to something greater than yourself because that is what Jesus did, which leads us to our very last thing. Here's the last thing, number four. The guy you want is looking for a girl whose identity and value comes from an outside source. The guy you want is looking for a girl whose identity and whose value comes from an outside source. Source. Here's the deal. I'm going to be very blunt. I've been very blunt, so I'm continuing to be and keep the streak going. Um, if your value, if what you would say makes you important, if your identity, if what you would say, what, what defines you, and if your emotional security comes from a boyfriend, a fiance, or a husband, you're going to crush him. If your identity and your value and your security comes from another person, I promise you, you're going to crush him. I've, I've seen this over and over and over again with both guys and girls. I'm not singling anyone out. Um, if that if one person doesn't know what their identity is, if they do not feel valued, they're insecure, they live a very shallow life, they don't feel like they're valuable on their own merit. And then one day that perfect person comes along. One day the perfect person comes along and he makes you feel valuable. And he makes you feel like you have something to live for. And he makes you smile and he's the complete opposite of your family life and your home life. And he is everything that you're looking for. What happens is we meet this special person and they become what makes us whole. They become what completes us. My value is that he loves me. My security is that he will never leave me. My identity is, is that I am attached to him. And catch this, he becomes my savior. 
He becomes my savior. I depend on him. I rely on him. I need him. He's my hope when I'm hopeless, my joy when I'm sad. He's my strength when I'm weak. And he is going to be the one who will fulfill my heart and redeem my life. And here's what happens every single time. You're going to crush him. You're going to crush him. You're going to destroy him because at the end of the day, he is not strong enough to carry your weight and you're not strong enough to carry his. At the end of the day, he is not and never will be strong enough to carry your weight and you can't carry his because you need someone who will love you perfectly and he will always fail. He will always mess up. Uh, You need someone who will give you strength, but he gets slow just like you. What's going to happen when he's depressed, when he's down, when his parents die? You need someone who's stable, but guess what? He's just as insecure as you are. And catch this. Here's where you crush him. He's never going to be enough for you. He's never going to be enough for you. He literally can't because no human being can give you meaning. And no human being can give you value. And this guy will never be able to fulfill the deepest desires of your hearts. And if you don't recognize this, you will demand of him something that he can never give to you, no matter how hard he tries. And like we talked about, for for a godly guy, for a man who has a God-given desire to meet your needs and make you content, you're going to drive him insane. Because what you need from him is the one thing that he can never give. You need someone that's stronger than a human being. You need someone that's stronger than a human being. You need someone who's bigger than a boyfriend or a fiance or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife. You need someone bigger than that. You need someone with so much value, so much worth, that being attached to them can give you a value simply by being attached to them. Your heart was made to be filled by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is the only one who can love you when you're unlovable. He is the only one who can love you with no conditions. He's the only one who can understand you when you don't have the words to express the pain that's at the depths of your heart. He's the only one that can protect you when you're alone or when you're far away. Listen, Jesus adores you. Jesus wants you. Jesus is the one, Jesus will never abuse you. Jesus is always gentle. He's always patient. He's always kind. And he loves you more than any person on this entire earth ever could in a million years. And he's the only one who can fulfill the deepest desires of your heart. And until you come to terms with that, until you come to terms with that, you're always going to be searching. And you're always going to be running. And you're always going to find yourself empty and un fulfilled because no relationship is ever going to give you what Jesus Christ will give you. I remember when Sarah and I were dating, um, you got the vibe last week. I was a wreck the whole time, right? (laughs) 
I'll never forget when we were dating, I, I was so broken because I had messed up again. And I remember thinking that, you know, I wanted her so bad. And I remember thinking the only way that I could ever get this to work is if I can love her perfectly. Because in my mind, she's so perfect, you know? And I, so I have to figure this out. And so I, I was so distraught every single time I messed up or every single time I made a mistake. When I couldn't control my anger, I couldn't control my tongue, whatever it was. I remember the most comforting conversation we ever had. Um, I, I, was, I was a wreck. Um, and one day, in, in my panic, she looked me dead in the eyes and she said the most important thing maybe that she's ever said to me. She said, Josiah, it's okay. I don't need you. I don't need you. I love you. I adore you. I want you. But I don't need you. I don't need you to love me to be significant, to have value, to have identity. You are not my identity. My identity comes from Jesus Christ. You are not what makes me feel valuable. I find my value in Jesus Christ. You are not my life. Jesus is my life. And I don't need you to love me perfectly to know what perfect love feels like. I experience perfect love every single day. And let me tell you, as a guy who is feeling a lot of burden and a lot of responsibility and, I don't know, a lot of weight, that is what allowed our relationship to flourish. That is what allowed it to come alive. Sarah would tell you, she would say that I'm the most loving man she's ever known. I would say I'm only able to love her when she gave me the permission to breathe. She gave me the permission to rest she let me know that I am not her everything. And we were both able to rest knowing that because we trust in Jesus Christ, because we both get our identity and our value from Jesus Christ, that when we mess up and when we make mistakes, Jesus' grace is in the midst of that. That when we have a problem and when there is a crack in our relationship, that Jesus Christ can fill that because Jesus is first. And so when I'm low and she's low and we have nothing to give each other, we can go to Jesus Christ. And when neither of us know how to love and neither of us remember how to sacrifice, we can both go to Jesus Christ, our real savior, the one who truly gives identity. Here's the reality that we all have to face, the harsh reality. And so you can say to your boyfriend or girlfriend, I don't need you, there'll never be enough for you. Until you can say to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whoever it is, I don't need you, they're never going to be enough for you. The hole in your heart is so much greater. It longs for a perfect savior, a savior who embodies true love, a savior who embodies life giving sacrifice. And Jesus Christ will love you so much deeper and so much greater than any man or any woman 
ever, ever could. And to be honest, you know, I've been leading this ministry for a while. I get so brokenhearted to see so many people giving their lives and giving their bodies and giving their hearts and their souls away to people who can never even give them a drop of the love that Jesus Christ gives you. Because Jesus Christ gave up his life on the cross to show you what he would do for you. Longing, hoping, dreaming that you could find your identity and your value in him. Because Jesus, you'll never crush him. He's the only one who can hold it. Until you find it in him, you'll always be incomplete. The band's going to come up. Um, I just want to end on a couple of things. I just want to um, give some more quick tips, I guess. But just talk about how can you, maybe you're tracking and you're saying, you know, Josiah, I do need to find my identity in Jesus. I hear what you're saying. I don't know what to do. How can we find our identity in Jesus? I think there's three things that we can start. Three things that we can start with. Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing. Take a break from relationships until you don't need them to feel complete. What if you tried taking a break from relationships until you don't need them to feel complete? Listen, God made you exactly how he wanted to make you. You are valuable. You're beautiful. You don't need another person to be significant. The reason you exist on this planet is because you are already significant. So God knows that. I know that. But do you? And it's very hard to figure that out in the midst of a relationship. So what if first, well, if you try taking a break from relationships until you don't need them to be complete? Here's the second thing. What if you try throwing yourself into the Bible and into Jesus-centered community? Well, you try throwing yourself into the Bible and into Jesus-centered community. I struggle with identity stuff. The only way I've been able to work that through, I just read the Bible constantly. It's become a habit. Every morning, I have to start my day reminding myself of who, (laughs) who God says I am in him. I would recommend that more, more than anything. Some of us just need to throw ourselves into the Bible. It's just open up. I would recommend the book of John. The book of John is a great place to start. It's just the story of Jesus. Maybe throw yourself in the Bible. Take a break from your relationships and focus on your relationship with Jesus and throw yourself in the Jesus-centered community. By the way, that's why we have our small groups. Uh, We have our small groups just so you can be around other people who love Jesus. So you don't have to feel alone. So you don't have to work things out by yourself. So you can be with other people who are pursuing the same thing. What if you try throwing yourself into the Bible and into Jesus-centered community? And here's the last thing, perhaps the most important thing. If you need to find your identity in Jesus, what if you try continually praying, asking God that Jesus would define you? What if every day you said, Jesus, you know, he, he understands us. He gets us. What if every day, every time you're struggling, you say, you know, Jesus, 
I know I struggle to see myself the way that you see me. I know that I struggle pulling my identity from this place and that place and this place. Jesus, would you define me? Would you help me to see what you see? And would you change me from the inside out? And whatever God calls you to do, whatever you discover in his word, just surrender to it. Only then will you be happy and fulfilled is only by being defined by Jesus Christ. I love you all. You're the best. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you with a purpose and with value. You only need him. And pray for us. Jesus. Jesus, would you allow us to be defined by you and you alone? God, I, I just pray for myself, everyone in this room. God, would you show us what we need to get rid of? And would you show us what we need to take on? God, what in our life is getting us away from embracing you? Jesus, would you show us your love, your compassion? God, would you, would you let us understand the, the image of you on the cross, being the image of, of how much you love me, how much you love every individual person in this room? Jesus, would you make your love clear? Would you make it make sense? And would you let us fall into it? Would you let it wash over us? Would you let it be all that we need? Because you're our identity, Lord. You know what we need. Meet us here, God. In your name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to The Collective Podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about today, or you just want to reach out for help or advice or someone to talk to, we always want to make ourselves available to you. One of the best ways is to send us a direct message to GCM underscore collective, or to send us an email to collective at graceohio.org. As always, you are invited to Collective every Thursday night at 7 o'clock at Grace Church Bath Campus. Hope to see you soon. Bye. Thank you.